0: I think there will be work for lawyers. Yes, we'll have to adapt, but remember, our job is to advise businesses, advise companies, advise people, and at difficult times, people need that advice. The hearing, a legal
1: podcast from Thomson Reuters. The cross examination. Hello, I'm Becky Anderson and I'm really pleased to bring you our first, the cross-examination episode of The Hearing, although I do wish it was under more pleasant circumstances. We're going to be taking a look at the COVID-19 situation, but with a legal lens, and looking at how this is going to affect our industry. And who am I? I'm a commercial lawyer with 14 years experience and a huge amount of curiosity about the world, the law, and everything in between. For this episode, we spoke remotely to an economist, an insolvency practitioner and a business leader to look at how COVID-19 has already impacted the legal landscape and the implications for the future.
2: The cross-examination. My name is Alexis Crowe and I lead the geopolitical investing practice for PricewaterhouseCoopers globally.
1: We've become familiar with a lot of new terms throughout the COVID-19 crisis. Social distancing, Zoom and quarantine but one that's of real interest to us is a black swan event.
2: The phrase is, I think, was popularized by Nuriel Rabini, and thinking about um, events that were very difficult to forecast. If they were indeed, able, you know, if one was indeed able to forecast them, that came out of nowhere, that led to a deleterious knock-on effect, hence black on the markets
1: in my mind whenever i think of a black swan event it is a single sudden dramatic crisis point but where we are at the moment with the covid19 pandemic it almost feels like there's a sort of a rolling crisis with waves and multiple peaks i think when people do business continuity planning they're imagining a short sharp shock and then it's over and it's just a period of getting back to normal but we feel like we're in this protracted shock stage right now. What are your feelings about that, or your thoughts?
2: What I feel a bit with COVID nineteen is a ricochet effect, um, where you have you know the initial outbreak ricocheting out from the epicenter in Asia, going across to Europe, hitting the jugular vein of economic growth in Europe, coming to North America, obviously most poignantly the United States, um, and then ricocheting back with. Imported cases into Asia. So, with that, if we think about, you know, that is the that is the health crisis that's ricocheting back and forth, leading to an economic crisis in these territories. What was interesting, going back to the end of January, um, when many were concerned about the outlook in China economically, you had a lot of Western companies, perhaps with a bit of hubris and arrogance saying this is just a supply shock and, oh, we may not be able to get some of our inputs, some of our textiles, oh, some of our production is held up. Obviously, there was a demand shock as well because China is an ever-growing market in terms of consumption um, and revenue bases, even throughout the trade war for American companies, but obviously clearly for Western European companies, some of whom have cemented their and deepen their commercial ties with China in the midst of the trade war. Um, so it was a demand shock. And then now I think what you're seeing is the demand shock and the supply shock hitting Europe, now hitting the US and ricocheting back. So I think that's what's been very difficult to manage is the constant hit to both supply and demand for different businesses. One thing that I'm
1: finding um i suppose in equal measure interesting and terrifying about what's going on at the moment is how in 2008 um it was kind of very clear where the recession where the, the kind of starting point of the recession was if you know what i mean it was these mortgages and the way they were being handled by the banks and obviously then the recession kind of spread out into the wider economy and you you had the attendant kind of companies going insolvent and job losses, but it was very clear where the kind of the epicenter, if you like, of the recession was. I appreciate that in the UK our definition of recession is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. And we're at the moment in a, in a sort of a Schrodinger's recession where we're quite clearly in
2: recession, but we're not technically there yet. Undoubtedly, we have entered into technical recession for most of the world's largest economies. When we start to see the numbers come out,
0: There is no doubt that those of us in the field I'm in are predicting that we are going to have a huge economic shock. Hi, I'm Steve Allinson. I'm a solicitor and a licensed insolvency practitioner. I'm chairman of the Government Insolvency Service, also chairman of the board of those seeking to become insolvency practitioners. I have to say, at the moment, the talk is that um, it may well be the worst recession stroke depression um, for a century. Um, We thought the credit issues were really bad in the banking crisis 10 years ago. I'm afraid I fear this is going to be worse than that. Um, So I think probably depression uh, is the right word.
2: What is so particularly lethal about this coronavirus outbreak and the economic impact is that it's really hit the jugular vein of the real economy. I love that. The
1: real economy. <laughs> tell me, tell me more about the real economy.
2: Yeah, so you'll hear um, people talk about the financial economy and then the real economy. So this is basically, you know, a delineation of saying, there are white collar services jobs, and then there's the real economy, which is you know, um, a more increased labor share of income as opposed to a capital share of income.
0: How it's gonna pan out is very difficult to say because when we do come out of lockdown, people will have money in their pockets to spend because we haven't been spending as much, obviously. But there's an awful lot of uncertainty about jobs, uh, clearly. Uh, at the moment, we're in this false stage whereby government is keeping the economy going, is practically printing money, really. Uh, and it's after that when we come to pay for it. I want to be optimistic, and, of course, I'm positive we will come out of this but uh, there's no doubt it's going to be a very difficult economic time for businesses uh, and particular businesses uh, I think as well.
1: That's another thing that I wanted to talk about which businesses in particular in um, 2008 we had the big name banks being bailed out or going under um, and it seemed it was very sectorially focused as a recession at least in the beginning. This is a very different recession, isn't it? It's much flatter across the economy, across all businesses. And we've seen a couple of familiar names already going into administration, such as Laura Ashley and Debenhams. Um, So I just really would like to get your view on what industries and sectors you think are going to be hit the hardest by this unusual recession.
0: Yeah, that's um, a very good question. And obviously one that's troubling a lot of people. Uh, in certain sectors. The Insolvency Service publishes every quarter um, a whole series of statistics and one of those that they publish is looking at the sectors uh, that have the most insolvencies, corporate failures, uh, in the last quarter and consistently for the last five years plus the top three sectors that have been failures have been the construction sector, followed by retail, uh, and then followed by the garage uh, and motor vehicle industry. Now, none of those three, I think, would surprise uh, most of your listeners um, in terms of uh, the issues. And of course, prior to COVID, we we had an awful lot of construction uh, concerns and perhaps even more so, Um, Retail and sort of 2018-2019 was the, uh, they were the anis herribilis in terms of the retail sector. So I think retail is going to struggle um, without any doubt, but there's a whole lot more at play as to why retail is struggling than just Covid, but Covid could be um, a very significant factor for them. The hospitality industry, if you call that retail, perhaps one talks of it a bit separately. I mean, bars, clubs, restaurants, you know, they're talking of possibly having to keep social distancing in, in place for a number of months, even after the lockdown. Well, you just can't do that in bars, clubs and restaurants really sensibly. So I think we're going to see... Real issues around that, and of course, many of those will also be part of our communities, Um, uh, not only High Street, but, you know, the pub industry, the sort of bedrock of many villages. Pubs were closing greatly, and this is going to hit them. And then one that I've been thinking about, and an area that I'm involved in professionally, is the sports sector. We've had a lot of publicity, obviously, around um, the problems that football clubs in particular are facing, no income coming in and huge outgoings. Uh, Well, we all know that the uh, economics of football clubs uh, uh, decry any other type of uh, business sense, really. Um, But that's going to be brought into huge stark uh, reality you know maybe the big premier clubs can survive this because they are owned by very very rich uh billionaires often but down that pyramid you know if nobody is coming through those turnstiles uh to watch games then there's no income coming in but you've still got a lot of outgoings sadly it's going to be the perfect or very imperfect storm i think in many industries I was actually
1: thinking, as you were saying that, about the airline industry as well. If you're a restaurant, maybe you can turn your hand to doing a takeaway service.
0: A little bit, sure.
1: Which might keep you ticking over. But an airline, you can't really sell your fleet of who's going to buy a plane right now.
0: That's a really good point. And and that probably would have been my next sector as well, airline and, and obviously travel industry i mean we saw obviously the failure of flybee just before covid i mean the budget airline business has been crowded for a long time and uh, you know the, the 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 actual margins on it are very low um they're simply not flying are they they're not going to be uh, they've got outgoings We've heard obviously slightly controversially uh, Richard Branson talking about wanting government help. Now you can have all kinds of interesting political debates around, you know, very rich people wanting that, etc. Um, but, you know, if Virgin Atlantic is saying that, then obviously think of the number of smaller uh, airlines as well. And then you move that on to the holiday industry.
1: I suppose now would probably be a good time to ask you about red flags. What are the early warning signs that a company is moving into insolvency so that people are best placed to take what defensive action they can?
0: One of the big red flags is obviously a change in pattern uh, from what you've dealt with before. I always say this to my clients. Know your business. Know with whom you are dealing Um is the best way of trying to anticipate difficulties. If, for example, suddenly um, you're finding that the director who you dealt with before is not there or not answering your calls or not coming back to you or has been moved to other things, obviously that's got to tell you something. What we like in insolvency is not a lot of change if you like in a business if a company is suddenly changing and we saw that didn't we where uh with a lot of the big publicized failures where suddenly directors were coming directors were going new CEOs were coming in uh, uh, etc um, that is a real red flag and that's a practical one that we can all watch over the other one is obviously the lack of communication i'm afraid in business um if things get tough the ostrich-in-the-stand approach often applies. It's sad because businesses coming earlier to us in terms of rescue is much easier than leaving it too late. But changes, people who want to put you on to, well, can we now renegotiate terms of contract that will only pay you after three months rather than one month, um, day days going up, the, all, all the basic things that we have, people are going to be hanging on to cash at the moment.
1: So we know that this crisis has hit the economy hard already and that industry is being deeply affected in different ways. Here's Lucinda Case, the Managing Director at Thomson Reuters Legal Europe, who has been considering the impact that Covid-19 is having on law firms and on lawyers. This is a scary time for a lot of them. I mean they don't
3: sit on a lot of cash. Uh, Obviously they have a client account money that is not theirs and can never be touched. You think of the sort of the fact that convincing is just on pause for how, how many months nobody really knows um, we were talking to one firm they do high volume of convincing um, even if they've got transactions to exchange they don't get paid till completion so the fact that all these conveyances are effectively paused means their cash flow is, is really really just shot to pieces so again something we've heard is you know law firms looking at how they manage cash flow that sort of always almost looked after itself but that's a totally new skill that a lot of um a lot of law firms big and small you know are are really having to think gosh how do we manage our cash
0: we've seen in the legal uh, press you know many firms including some big ones furloughing staff putting them down to 4 days a week you know some international firms are already looking at how they adapt
1: what can lawyers be doing now to make themselves and their clients as resilient as possible to the economic shocks of COVID-19? Because COVID-19 is a massive crisis and we shouldn't underplay that, but there is always something that can be done. At least that's how I feel about it. And what do you think are the main things to be done?
0: No, I think that's absolutely right. Good businesses, well-run businesses can always, in my view, seek to um, respond to situations that were out of their control yes they may have to adapt um but but you know that that is the essence of entrepreneurism and and running your businesses and lawyers um have a big part to play in that so the first thing to say in terms of lawyers advising businesses and looking at their own position is that you have to be proactive in respect of things. So, you know, you have got to look at your cash flow position just like every business has to. And don't forget in this dreadfully difficult position, good businesses are going to be looking to hold on to cash. Um, so in terms of renegotiation of key contracts, you know, it will be in both parties' interest to seek to do that often. And lawyers have a big part to play in that regard. Now, obviously, um, lawyers do a myriad of things. Uh, I suspect I'm going to see a lot of law firms retraining some of their employees into the insolvency and restructuring world.
3: We've got to make sure that you know we, all our customers are well equipped uh, to be ready for the, the challenges and the, and the change legal marketplace. And, and I think we're already anticipating that you know we're going to have a lot of lawyers who are going to have to switch from being sort of old style M and A lawyers to becoming restructuring lawyers. So, so how do we make sure that we can help lawyers who've got to reskill very quickly? How can we help make sure that those, those people are equipped to look after? The sort of society we serve which is going to look very different after Covid and after this crisis.
0: Lawyers are lucky in that they have often a multitude of different skills that they can adapt and if the commercial department's quiet, the insolvency department can move forward etc. Um, the difficulties though obviously are going to be for your high street firm, your, your, your small business, which depends on conveyancing and staple diet because obviously that chain is held up at the moment um, but we have a big role to play and we've, we've probably lost a little bit out to accountants who have historically always been better at adapting and being men of affairs and women of affairs in terms of that. Lawyers have been perhaps not as quick uh, to change. But think about it. Think about all your SMEs who need advice the directors will need an awful lot of advice should they continue to trade or should how should they change Um, what's the law around directors duties in terms of that what can we do to help in terms of employment law because employees is going to be a big big issue for businesses do they cross train staff so i think there will be um work for lawyers yes we'll have to adapt but remember our job is to advise businesses advise companies advise people and at difficult times people need that advice
1: one of the things that was occurring to me as you were talking is how i think that as lawyers we tend to get very hung up in a way and i use that advisedly on the black letter law and what it says in the contract. Obviously, these things are important and essential and you need to know what they are. But in a situation like this, they may not be where your best solution lies. I was just thinking how many articles I have seen coming out in the legal press and on various different websites over the last few weeks, refreshing people on what force majeure and frustration are. And those should be your absolute last resort's. Before you hit that point, you should be engaging, I think, in, as you said, negotiation, renegotiating contracts, coming up with a solution that gets both companies through the tough period and then sort everything out afterwards. But I think a fixation on what what's force majeure, what's the law of frustration, rather than what's a good negotiation to get everybody through this. That might be the best pivot for lawyers in all of this. What do you think?
0: Oh, absolutely. I could not agree more and I'm really glad you you said that really. We have to we like writing about the law, don't we as lawyers? But actually clients don't really want to hear about that at the moment. They want advice within their sectors on how they can get through it. This sentiment is shared by
3: Lucinda we look after 13,000 customers across Europe and we're spending a lot of time at the moment talking to them where they've got cash flow concerns. The important thing is that you listen to your customer, you stay close to them, you see what they need. I, I think it's right that nobody wants generic emails saying, just checking in. You know, People really want to know that you're genuine and, and you know genuinely concerned about them. So I'm really impressed with the way that our sales team's have taken that on board and can then bring back and say, yes, this type of firm is really struggling or this type of firm, you know, they're doing lots of employment work and it's all good. I keep playing back to my team, something I read, which is, you know, we are only as strong as the communities we support. So to my mind, we have to help our customers through this because, you know, there is another side to this. Um, So yeah, we're looking at how we can help them navigate this, how we can give them relief where we can We've got to stay healthy financially, obviously, but, uh, you know, how we can help them through this because ultimately, you know, we want them to survive this uh, and and for us to, you know, all thrive in the future.
0: The big one at the moment, obviously, lots in the press about... Um, landlords and and businesses and in particular we understand one of the drivers for Debenhams going under was because they wanted to protect themselves against the landlords well you know landlords may well have the right to forfeit leases and to carry out other things now I know the government's trying to stop them uh, taking possession but they're looking for ways around it well actually rather than that let's us as lawyers get the landlords and and the tenants together because it's in nobody's interest for a business to go under. The landlord's just as much as the tenant, obviously. And the good lawyers are those who see their client's business rather than just sit there telling them the law. I don't really want to know any more about Force Mayor because actually it's not important with what we're dealing with at the moment. And anyway, we can't go to court at the moment, can we, except by virtual hearing. So let's get real about that, shall we? Litigation is the last resort. And actually, in a weird sort of way, um, the courts being suspended helps that. What I am really encouraged, not only in the professional community, but just generally, is that the amount of desire for people to work together. Obviously, professionals who are all in this together. I live in a village community. I've seen much more community spirit of us working together. Uh, and if we can replicate that through business, we will get through this. Um, you know, now is not the time, as you said, to talk about litigating and disputes. It's coming together. And that's what we have to remember
1: thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the cross-examination for the hearing as much as I've enjoyed hosting it. And I hope you'll join me for our exciting upcoming episodes. If you like, please give us a rating, review us and subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll be alerted to all the new episodes as they come out. The hearing, the cross-examination. A legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via
2: iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.